This morning we are continuing the Sermon on the Mount. We sort of took a departure into the Lord's Prayer. Now we're coming back to chapter 6. Um, and we've been looking at, for a long time, what it looks like to be a disciple, what it looks like to be religious, according to the Sermon on the Mount. And if you'll remember, we started uh, with talking about giving and, and not giving as the hypocrites do. And we got that out of verses um, 2 through uh, 4 of chapter 6. Then we went into prayer. And now we're going into your favorite topic, I have no doubt. Everyone here is excited. Fasting. So, I will be honest with you. I was tempted to skip this passage. Um, I'm looking at the calendar. I'm thinking the summer is coming. I have all these things I need to do, I want to do in the sermon. You know what? Let's just move past fasting. And then I was like, of course. This is why we do expository preaching. Because you don't want me to tell you, you know, what to do. You want the Bible. So at Grace, we do expository preaching because the Bible informs us and Jesus talks about fasting. So I'm really uh, slightly nervous about this sermon, to be quite honest with you. If you notice some nervousness, you can pray because I'm a bit nervous. And I've decided that there's no way you can be critical of this sermon. Because if I do a bad job, that just means you don't want to fast. And if you start fasting, I've hit a home run. So I've realized there's nothing wrong. I can do no wrong uh, with this sermon. I'm kidding. But what I hope to do uh, for myself and all of us is really to understand more what it might look like in our discipleship to fast. So let's stand now for the reading of God's Word. If you have a Bible, we're going to look at chapter 6 of Matthew. We're going to look at verse 1 as the introduction to the three areas, and then we'll jump to verses 16 through 18. So beginning at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we come this morning thanking You that You care for us. Thanking You that Your Son, Jesus, has come. Thanking You that we are adopted and united to You. And Lord, our flesh and Satan will conspire to try to convince us that you don't love us. And one way is we'll look at our lacking discipline and often we'll feel despair and discouragement. I pray against that this morning, that in everything we discuss, we'll discuss it as those who are redeemed and looking for ways to know you closer and better, but knowing that you love us as much as possible and that nothing we do is going to change that. Rather, these disciplines that we look at will often help us rest in your love more. In your name we pray. Amen. It's been a while since I brought out a Seinfeld, Seinfeld illustration. So I thought, you know what, this is such a downer topic, possibly. Let's start with an upswing, you know, Seinfeld. Uh, anyone here familiar with Seinfeld? One of my favorite moments in an episode is the Juji Fruit episode. Elaine is at the movies, going to meet a date, her boyfriend, and uh, 
She arrives. She's kind of looking around. I actually watched this on YouTube. Um, and one of the workers at the uh, theater shows up and says, are you Elaine? Are you waiting for a guy named Jason? Something? You know. Oh, yes. What's going on? He had an accident. And uh, oh, my, you know, she's freaking out. Oh, no, it's okay. He's, he's in the hospital. But he was sideswiped by a taxi. You know, he's there. Um, and he's in the room. 613. Okay, okay, okay. And she starts out the door. Wait a minute. Turns around. Goes to the counter. I'll have a box of juji fruits, please. Guy gets to the juji fruits. The next scene, she's in the hospital chowing on her juji fruits. I feel like a sugar candy, okay? I don't know if you know what they are. Chowing on her juji fruits while the guy's laying in bed. And he's talking with her, and he's describing the accident. And then he goes, wait a minute. Where did you get those juji fruits? At the, at the uh, movie theater? But didn't the person tell you at the very front that I was hit by the taxi? Yeah. And then you went and got the juji fruits? Uh-huh. And then he becomes uh, very upset. He says, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Just leave. And she's like, no, I care. I do. But for him, it spoke to her or to him that she did not care. And I think we all would recognize that that would hurt our feelings, right? Here you are in the hospital, even though it's just a little bruise, you don't want to think that your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or significant other went forward to get their favorite juju fruit before checking in on you. Um, I think we do this with Jesus, right? We, you know, it's Jesus. He loves us. He's fine. And so we don't think about how our behaviors and our attitudes might affect our own devotional life. I don't think he gets his feelings hurt like the boyfriend in the story, but certainly there's a connection there, Right? Some connection between how we view food and our appetites to our discipleship. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, We're going to really look at fasting for a few minutes. And for some of you, that's going to be a long few minutes. Hopefully we can make it somewhat enjoyable. Um, Jesus calls us to discipleship. He calls us uh, to, to practice our righteousness. That's the foundation of these three ideas, giving, praying, and fasting. And of course, each of those can be extrapolated to farther things. So stewardship, you know, giving and stewardship of your resources. Prayer could be, I think you could include scripture intake and worship. And fasting can be, you can include anything with your appetite and what you do as far as discipline and discipleship to focus on Christ. And so what I want to do for a few minutes is just talk about what fasting is uh, particularly. We want to look at discipleship in general as well. But we have to get to hypocrisy and reward. So we're just going to work through the passage. Okay? So we're going to start with what is fasting in general. When you look at fasting in the Bible, it predominantly is talking about abstaining from food. I think everybody sort of would know that, right? There is a type of fast that would be to abstain from food and water, but usually that's not what's being discussed. Moses on Mount Sinai is said to have not had food or water for the entire length of time. Every theologian would say that was supernatural, so don't go trying that. I doubt any of you are, but for that one crazy person, he's like, I'm going to try that. Don't do that. Don't, don't try the no water thing. But for the majority of the passages in the, in the Bible, it's dealing with predominantly food and abstaining from food. There is a partial fast, which would be eating like bread and water only for a period of time. So those are the types of fasts you have in the Bible. And the purposes vary. All throughout the Old Testament, they vary. And the only fast, there was one fast required. So beyond that, it was sort of an optional, maybe there was an issue, right? So 
The Ninevites fasted in repentance. Uh, Esther, the queen, has everybody fast for deliverance. Uh, And David, in Psalm 35, um, he's fasting and wearing sackcloth in a type of mourning and and, and longing for the Lord. But all of these fastings have one purpose that needs to be remembered as we move forward. Drawing near to God. That's the key. So when you think of fasting or discipline in general, the goal has to be to draw near to the Father. That's always the goal in the Old Testament. When you move into the New Testament, you have the Pharisees. And they begin to fast twice a week. That was their habit, right? You know of the parable where the Pharisee and the tax collector and the Pharisees bragging about fasting twice a week. Okay, We'll talk more about that with hypocrisy, but for them, that was the number of days. Um, we know Jesus fasts 40 days, right? Prepare for ministry, we'll talk more about that. So that's your history in the Bible. But again, the purpose of these fasts is to draw near to the Father. That's why in the Bible you see fasting over and over. Um, there are what you might call sub-purposes. I had a list, let me see if I can find them. You have strength in prayer, to seek God's guidance. These are all building off of drawing near to the Father. To express grief, to seek deliverance and protection. Repentance, like we said about Nineveh. To humble oneself. To express concern for the work of God. David Brainerd is famous in his journal of really, as he's ministering to the Indians uh, in New England, he would fast and pray for his work and the work of the gospel to go forward. Um, to overcome temptation, <clears throat> which is obviously what Jesus does in the desert. Again, we'll talk more about what he's doing there. But even just to express love and worship to God. These are reasons for fasting in the Scripture. And then it goes on. You see early church fathers fasting and talking about it. Uh, around 300, Basil uh, wrote, had a whole sermon that still exists on fasting. In our own John Calvin, I say our own, because it just sounds cool. He fasted. Luther, of all people, Luther fasted. I mean, everyone fasts until about 1900. And then it just stops. According to, um, to Richard Foster, who wrote Celebration of Discipline, uh, he tried to find resources on fasting written like between 1900 and 1960. And he said he could, he could find nothing. You know? Um, so, what happened? What, what's gone wrong? Uh, we've become, well, it's very hard. I, I want to be careful because I don't want to just start blaming us and beating us up. But I will look at the quote at the very beginning of the um, bulletin. Just Richard Foster says, In a culture where the landscape is dotted with shrines to the golden arches and an assortment of pizza temples, fasting seems out of place and out of step with the times. And it seems interesting that in, in his, historically, I would assume food was harder to come by. I mean, I don't, I don't want to make sweeping generalities like that, but typically, now if people aren't eating, it's not because the food doesn't exist in the community, it's because of money and resources and other things. But there is certainly food available in America. And so you think we might feel more freedom. You know, I'll take a break, I'll miss a meal. But we feel less freedom. There's something about our appetites and, our, and the overabundance that go together that we'll look at. So that is sort of what the purposes are of fasting. Those are the types of fast that you see in Scripture. A little bit later, I'll give you a few maybe practical things. But I want to talk about hypocrisy because I think that is where we need to see what Jesus is discussing for our second point. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. So, 
the Pharisees fasted on Tuesdays and, say, Fridays. I, I can't remember the two days they chose. Um, and Wesley later chose two different days to offset that. But if everybody knew they were fasting on those days, then when they walked around, you know, they could kind of look gloomy and, and kind of drag themselves along, and that would be obvious that they were fasting. Now, for the young folks, that's, like, cool now, right? It's like we kind of walk around with our, like, looking gloomy. For you to, like put your hair and fix it all up, might make us think you're fasting. So I'm not sure how that works for you guys, but uh, I'm just kidding. Sorry. I'm offending like half the people here. Um, got a joke. But for the Pharisees, they were trying to show everyone they're fasting. That doesn't really preach right now. I mean, giving, hypocrisy, I think we all understand that. You know, you want people to kind of find out what you're giving or maybe you slip it out. Um, so you can see how hypocrisy played the tithes and giving. You know, maybe my name's on the on the hospital or the brick. What about and I'm, what about prayer? You know, we know that maybe we pray publicly a little bit differently than privately. So we can see how hypocrisy would play into our prayer life. But with, with fasting, how many of you thought, oh, so when I fast, I've got to be careful not to be a hypocrite. I mean, we don't even do it. I think the hypocrisy has completely shifted. The hypocrisy has become, in our fear of man, we've gone from trying to please people and look impressive, which at its core is still self, is still me-centric, right? If I want other people to think I'm amazing, it's just me. I'm just trying to make myself feel good. Well, now we make ourselves feel good by saying, we don't have to do stuff like that. This is the New Testament era. This is, we live by grace. We name our church that. So we don't have to do things that are difficult anymore. And there is a type of hypocrisy there. And so I want to uh, draw our attention to this idea that disciplines are important, but they don't do anything for you salvation-wise. Right? They do nothing for your salvation. But what disciplines do is they bring us, if we are doing them rightly, before the presence of God. They draw us near Him. We, we, we experience Him. The, the pure, or not the Puritans, the Reformers use the term means of grace instead of the word discipline. They say the discipline's not an end, it's a means to an end. We'll explore that as we go along. But when we think about hypocrisy, I, I, here's an illustration. Um, think about sports. One author, Dallas Willard, who I recommend, his book on the disciplines mostly, it's pretty good. Um, he says it's disciplines in the spiritual life are like sports for a child. If you're watching baseball and you see, you know, I love Albert Pujols, you see him get up and he, he sticks his tongue out. Anyone notice that? Anyone like Albert Pujols? So now if I think I want to be a better baseball player, so I'm going to stick my tongue out like Albert Pujols. He's going to do nothing for me. Or I'll wear the same necklace that he wore, you know. Or maybe I'll, I don't know, there's other things he did that I can't do. But the reality is if you want to emulate Albert Pujols, you've got to go do the things he does, diet and exercise, and he watches video and, and Swing after swing. And what, what Dallas Willard would say is that in Christianity, uh, the disciplines are what we do sort of privately and publicly, but to get ready for the game of life. So we wonder, why in that moment did we fail, or do we the temptation take over, or do we lash out, or do we not share the good news, or have Scripture memorized? It's because all of our days and time, we're not practicing for that. And so there is something to what he's saying, that that the gospel compels us to say, I want to go and know Jesus so much that I could handle 
missing a meal and not yelling at the waiter if they got it wrong or if food runs out at a banquet, I can survive a moment, you know, that kind of thing. We, we do it through the discipline of practice. So I think the hypocrisy then comes in when we decide we don't even need that. We, we sort of accept this ancient heresy of docetism, which says that Jesus was both God and man, everyone agrees with that, but he wasn't really human. And the way that plays out is we see him do amazing things like fasting for 40 days or telling his disciples to fast, and we just kind of play that, well, that's because he was God. That's why he was able to do all of that. Rather than realizing he is like the one man who should have never had to fast according to our mindset, he should have never had to pray, but he prayed, he learned scripture, when he was 12, they find him in the synagogue, you know, or the temple where his father's house is, teaching the teachers. And of course, we see him fasting as well. Maybe we should kind of ask ourselves, have we slipped into that mindset? Where are we in our discipleship? Are we hypocritical? That's, uh, is it getting heavy? We need a joke now or, you know, the good news is you're all fasting right now. So that's the good news. You're all doing it right this minute. Sorry, I had to slip. I tell my wife every day I'm fasting until the next meal. She, she's tired of that joke. But what are the rewards? So Jesus says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites, which I'm saying is maybe we're hypocritical a little bit differently than these hypocrites in that we just don't we ignore it completely. But when we do fast, anoint your head with oil, wash your face. He's just saying, look normal. Don't, don't try to show it. Don't try to wear it on your sleeve. But then he says that your fasting may be seen by others, not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I don't like rewards in the Bible. It's just really, I get nervous. And, and I've had some conversations, I, I struggle, because our flesh wants to say, aha, see, my behavior leads to better things. So if I fast, I'm going to get more stuff, right? More jewels in my crown, maybe a better mansion, and we get to heaven, oh, you'll get to heaven, don't worry, but I'm going to have a little bit nicer mansion. You know? I'm going to have a little bit better furniture. We, we sort of struggle with that. We drag our, our works righteousness, we leave it away for justification, but we really do drag it into our holiness and our sanctification. But when you look at rewards in the Bible, it seems to always center around the thing you're after in the first place. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, and and the reward was the the growth, the church. But it was the very thing they were after. People grew, right? The church grows. And so the wages are, are the same thing that were planted. In the same way, the reward is what you're after here. So the question then really is, what are we after when we fast? What are we after when we pray? And so often where we go wrong is we try to do things to feel better about ourselves. And it doesn't feel good. I mean, how many times have you tried to pray and it just it feels rotten? How many times have you opened your Bible and you're like, I can't even read three words. I'm just it's boring me. But you plug through sometimes. Sometimes you don't. Why do you do that? Because the Spirit is present and He makes use of the weakness and the reward is Jesus. So fasting is a gracious thing that I have to be honest is very... Rarely done by me, um, but I want to see it grow. I don't want you to think I'm some legalist who's coming at you right now. 
but we fast because it draws us closer to Jesus. And where do we see that in the Bible? First of all, the next place you find fasting is in Matthew. And I'll just tell you the story. Disciples come in Matthew 9 and ask Jesus. Other Christians or other religious folks come and say, why are you not teaching your disciples to fast like John the Baptist taught? And his answer was, because they're with the bridegroom. They're with me right now. And then what that makes you think of is, okay, so fasting then is when Jesus leaves, we fast. Why? Because when Jesus left, and he's left, he's no longer in our midst right now, we have a distance, and we miss him, we grieve his, his leaving, his departure, but we also long to be in fellowship with him. Um, does, that, does that make sense? So what Jesus is saying is, here's why my disciples weren't fasting while I was here. Which he doesn't ever come out and say, by the way. Because clearly he teaches to fast in, in the Sermon on the Mount. But he answers the question, when the bridegroom is present, you do not have to fast, but when the bridegroom is away, that's when you'll miss my presence, Jesus, and you'll long for me. Okay, the reward then. Last summer we preached through Philippians, and there was something I couldn't, I still wrestle with. It's where Paul, in chapter 3, he, doesn't, he never mentions fasting. But what he says is, basically, I went from being a legalist to getting the gospel. Right? He describes, he gives a litany of all the things he, done, he has done right. He was a Pharisee, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. He goes through the whole list. And he's making a point. He's saying, those are useless things for me. And then he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I think what he is saying there is, not that they don't exist anymore. You don't throw everything out. It's that they don't have the same bond to him. Does that, he, he, yes, he has things. And later in chapter 4, he says, I know how to abound, and I know how to be in need. He's saying these things are not everything anymore. Only Jesus. That's hard. I've read this, and I've studied it, and I've thought about it. It's very difficult. He says um, that the only thing I care about is that I would gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Gospel, receiving, Jesus, my identity's in Him. The weight begins to lift. But he says, that I may know the power of Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings. That's where I struggle. Have any of you ever heard that and thought, I know what he's talking about. What do I need to go do? Do I need to go hang on a cross? What, What is he talking about? Do I need to be... Down all the time, you need to you know self-flagellate, like you know, hitting yourself with a whip and beating yourself up. And then he says in verse eleven that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying this: Jesus is so glorious to me that I will do anything while he's away and I'm on earth to be in his presence. To, to understand Him more. 
And I have a, and Paul fasted. We know in Acts, he and Barnabas fasted before their missionary journey. Elsewhere, Paul says, I beat my body. Paul is not a legalist. He, get, he gets the gospel better than any one of us. But what it tells him to do is, I long to be in the presence of Jesus. So, practical. Is that our desire? I think this is what makes this sermon so difficult. We have grown comfortable with a gospel message that says, don't worry about anything. Jesus has you covered. That's true. But we aren't going the next step. And because He's so beautiful, I long to be in His presence. What what can I do to, to learn more of Him? Right? What can I do? So go back to Jesus in the garden. Jesus does this crazy thing to us and he spends 40 days, or excuse me, in the desert, in the desert, right? Every day, every time I preach, I make a mistake and I hear about it in the car ride home. Last week I called uh, Doubting Thomas John the Baptist. Anyway, if you didn't catch it, then maybe you need to read your Bible. Oh. Jesus is in the desert for 40 days, but it's the manness. I mean, he's not eating food. Why? Is he doing this because later it will read well? That's pretty awesome. Look what our Savior did. He's preparing for ministry. And right at the tail end of that time, Satan shows up and tempts him three times. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Each of the temptations were basically saying, your God, your Father doesn't love you. And they were really appealing things to him at that moment. The first one says, you need food, turn the stones into bread. You can take care of yourself. The next one is the angels. Jump off this and the angels will catch you. They're at your, your wish is their command. You're the son of God, aren't you? And finally, here are all the kingdoms in the world. They should be yours, right? After all, you're God. I mean, have you not read that you're also God? I mean, that's not how Satan said but that's the implication. And each time, Jesus is quoting Scripture, but he's resting in the comfort of the fact he knows he is a son. And that's what fasting strengthened him to do. Rather than making him feel legalistic and better about himself and self-sufficient, it reminded him of his dependency. This is why we don't fast. The moment we're hungry, the moment we feel a hunger pain, we are reminded we are finite and we hate that. More than any other culture that has ever existed, I would challenge anyone to prove this wrong. I think Americans in this century and this day think we rule everything. We rule our bellies. We rule our world. And the second we're a little hungry, maybe we're not so much in control. And so we feed ourselves. Right? And so fasting is a reminder that we need Jesus. Now some people might say, no, no, I can get hungry and go longer. But you're choosing that. I would love to tell that person, well, what if I told you you couldn't eat? Then you would panic. You know, it's one thing when you're in control and you're making your own decision because you're maybe there's another idol in control. Like I got to get this work done. You know, I've got to get this thing done. We're still choosing it. We still feel like we're the ones in control. But fasting is so uncomfortable because what it reminds us is we are poor in spirit and we are dependent on a father. That's why it's so beautiful. So I want to talk practically about it for a few minutes, and then I promise we'll have some relief. I think some more songs that are happy, and um, etc. But here's some practical points. First of all, that when you read about fasting, you'll always come across that one quote 
where it's like the person seemed to really love it, you know? Like it was awesome. Okay, I think you've missed the point if you get there, okay? It's not supposed to be awesome. It's supposed to be hard. So that's the first thing. Second thing, it's very. I want to mention the dangers. There have been great dangers because of fasting. We live in a world where there is um, eating disorders. I don't want anyone to think, I've got to go off and quit eating. Don't do that. Because then that becomes the wrong pursuit. Right? If that's a temptation, please don't go there. Um, I to, and then a third danger would be just people have medical conditions. I don't want anyone to run off and do something that's not good for their body. Okay. Now that's like three of you. So the rest of you, you're fasting. Okay? Um, I don't know who you are, but don't all, we can't all put ourselves in that camp. Ah, oh, yeah, my doctor told me not to. I had the flu a couple of years ago. Um, also, pregnant mothers, you're, you're off the hook. Everyone's off the hook. No one has to do it. But here's my encouragement. I think Jesus wants us to fast. He had the opportunity to give you three areas of practicing righteousness. He's giving, praying, and fasting. Okay, so... I think one thing is I think he's talking about food. A lot of us like to go, oh, I'll give up Nintendo. That was what I would have done as a kid. I don't know if Nintendo is popular anymore. You know, I'll give up eating my fourth piece of cake. Okay, that's fine, and that may be really helpful, and maybe you should do that only. But I really think at the center, Jesus is talking about actually eating food. So for those of us that are able, it might be good to skip a meal once in a while. Okay, so here's the practical thing. First of all, it's a practice, right? Giving and praying are not one-off things, right? There is fasting. And I would say that as I've read up on it, and um, I would wish I could say as I've done it continually, I've done it a few times, I do think what I don't like about it when I've done it is it feels overwhelming. So start easy, maybe skip a meal, and maybe plan another time. Maybe it's a week later, a month later, skip a meal again and it becomes something you look forward to. Secondly, if you're going to fast, which I encourage us all to do, let's all agree to at least skip one meal, okay? Can we all agree to that? Okay. Don't just skip your meal and, and do other things. Pray. Go on a walk. Pull out your scripture. Listen to Max McLean. Read it to you on your Bible app. Um, but, but walk with Jesus while you're fasting. Embrace the pain. See, it's going to make you feel like you're not as good as you thought you were, and guess what? You're not. You need Jesus, and that's what makes fasting so beautiful. From, I, would, I mean, if you want to go beyond that, we can talk. But I would just say start with something simple like that. And then secondly, I will say other disciplines are perfectly wonderful. So from that basis, it is good to say, you know, I'm going to cut out television for a while, or I'm going to cut out that type of thing for a while. I, I recommend all of that because part of our discipleship and something that, as Christians, we have really lost in our modern era is self-discipline, like cutting things out for growth. So, that's what I think we should do. Now, that's my application. But I want to draw you back to Jesus, because that's what we want to do. Jesus will not love you anymore if you fast. I promise you that. But I also can almost promise you, you'll love, you'll love Him more. I think that's the point, that his love is unending. It's our problem, the things we're tied to, the things that are in our way. And if we could see, we say things like, I wish I could see him more clearly, 
He sings songs like about brokenness. And here is an opportunity to say, Jesus, I'm going to hunger for a while for you. Um, and we see in John 4, the woman at the well, you see this all over the place where the disciples are like, you need to eat. You know, like feeding the 5,000. What are we going to do for these people? They're hungry. They've got to eat. The disciples are constantly thinking about that, as we are. All of us are thinking, Ryan, we've got to eat. Um, okay, we'll get there. But the, he's just shared with this woman at the well, told her about her whole life. She's converted. And his disciples are shocked that he's talking to a woman. And they're like, when are you going to eat? And he says, my food is the, is the will of my Father. When we say things like, man cannot live by bread alone, right? The Scriptures teach us about every word that pours out of the mouth of God. Fasting is our reordering, reordering our appetites in a very weird and broken and ancient way that says, Lord, we want you to be in charge. And whether it's one meal one day, or whatever, you, or just taking one thing out of your life for a season. Let's go to Jesus and say, we know you love us. We believe it, but we want to know you more.